0: welcome to episode three of uh, animated Disney reviews it looks like we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 14 15 16 seventeen 18 ish movies um I say ish because I might have missed one but we got we got another big chunk of, uh, of movies to talk about today including my second perfect score movie and I'm sure there are a couple of others in here that are just absolutely hot trash so we'll talk about it those as well let's get into it so this one uh, should have reviewed in the last one but it wasn't revealed to me as being missing until i actively thought about it and i went i just finished watching finding dory hey where was dumbo i should have seen dumbo by now And I I was curious, because I was like, it didn't show up under the animations thing, and it doesn't show up if you look all movies A to Z, but it is on Disney+, Plus, but it doesn't appear in any of, like, the collection lists, which I think is, um... Well, it's censorship, is what it is. And kind of, by and large, that's exactly what it is. You have to specifically look for the original Dumbo movie in order to find the original Dumbo movie. Now, there's a couple things I've learned about the original Dumbo movie since I was watching it. Number one, it's the shortest... Disney movie I've seen so far at a whopping 63 minutes. It's barely over an hour. That probably also explains why they didn't censor Dumbo before they uploaded it. Because if they censored Dumbo, well, then A, there's no fucking plot to Dumbo, and B, that's like 10 minutes of the film just gone, and all of a sudden you don't have a movie, you have a fucking TV special. Of a a thing. So, if I were to rate Dumbo as just like a raw film, like in terms of a story, and like, characters that are worthwhile and stuff like that, it'd be pretty low down on the list. It'd be, like, a 4 out of 10. Now, the reason is, is because there's not a whole lot of a... There's no real plot to Dumbo. It's mostly just kind of the story of this elephant um, in a circus. And I remember this movie being, A, way sadder than it actually is. Like, sure, Dumbo's mom gets locked up for going on a rampage because there's some dipshits that were being mean to Dumbo, and she attacks, like, everybody... And then she gets put on a rampage. But by the end of the movie, she's fine. And they're together again. So that's not sad. I mean, the song itself is about 20 seconds long. um, And it's a sad moment to be sure. But it all works out in the end. So shrug. I mean, it it doesn't have the impact to it. Um, I remember the clowns being more terrifying when I was younger than they actually are. Um, But that could just be because clowns. Uh, And yeah most of the characters are pretty flat um timothy mouse isn't super great dumbo doesn't have a single spoken word in the entire movie the best characters in the film the most fleshed out characters in the film are the crows at the end they also have the second best song in the movie and it's it's you know sure they're called jim his name is jim crow later renamed dandy crow i'm not making this up Um, and yeah, there's some controversy around the characters, but they're the only characters in the entire movie to like feel for Dumbo's plight because every other character in the movie shits on Dumbo for having giant ears, except for Timothy Mouse. Timothy Mouse and the crows are the only ones that stand by Dumbo. Also, the crows are like the fucking most entertaining characters in the whole thing. They have one of the best songs. It's a really kind of upbeat way to end the movie. Does it have some racial undertones? Sure. It fucking does. doesn't, you know, it's still pretty good. Like, it's still, they're still good characters. And there's a lot of people that are on like, the other side of the fence being like, they're not stereotypes, they're just black characters. And you could argue that point of view, I'm sure, but, you know, I, I will acknowledge the controversy. But I'm telling you that if you cut those crows out of the movie, this movie has one redeeming factor to it, and that's pink elephants on parade which, while an incredible scene of animation and has a really kick-ass song, makes absolutely fucking zero sense to the movie and does absolutely nothing to advance the plot forward, of which there is very little plot. Indeed, I've seen, seen everything, but I've never seen an elephant fly. That song does more to advance the plot than Pink Elephants on Parade. Pink Elephants on Parade is the, probably the best part of the film, but you could cut it out of the film and enjoy it just as much as you could when it's in the film. It does nothing to do to help the movie. Nothing at all. So, yeah. It's weird. If I were to rate this movie as a movie, I'd give it a four. I'm giving Dumbo a seven. Six of those points are for Pink Elephants on Parade. And one of those points is for fucking Scene Done Everything Elephants Lie. Even though I think that's like more valuable to the movie, but Pink Elephants on Parade is such an iconic scene... That you kinda gotta give it to it. So yeah, Dumbo gets a 7 out of 10. But basically just watch the like last 20 minutes of this movie and you'll be fucking fine. There is nothing of importance that occurs before those moments. Nothing at all. Not a damn thing. Just a bunch of mean asshole elephants shitting on Dumbo. Also, my theory on why Dumbo has big ears and the other ones don't is because every other elephant that we see in this movie is an Indian elephant and Dumbo's an African elephant and African elephants have larger ears than Indian elephants. And you can call me, what. you could say whatever you want. But you look at the way Dumbo's ears stick out from his head, and you look at the ears of the other elephants, and look at how they lay alongside the head, that is actually the difference between Indian-African elephants. African elephant ears stick out sideways, Indian elephants lie flush to the side of the head. That's the difference. And that's what these elephants are. So, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. It's They're Indian and African elephants. And Indian elephants just dump all over Dumbo, and are just super big dicks. Um, yeah. So... That's, that's my ratings for Dumbo as a movie four as Dumbo seven. So it makes sense to me as I don't know what to tell you. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know why Disney's trying to hide it. It was your fourth fucking movie, Disney. I get it. You had some racial undertones and shit, uh, but it's still one of your fucking movies. Actually, I don't remember this. Uh, hold on a second. I need to check something real quick. I need to pause it. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Okay. Um there is a sequence in Fantasia that had a character that was well that's you know wasn't the wasn't the most sensitive racially, so I'm just gonna quickly scan to see is that character still in the short? Or did they or did they cut it out of the short? Um skipping, 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 skipping. Skip, skip, skipity, skip, 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 skip. It looks like they cut it out of the short. Which is probably for the best. Because unlike um, Dumbo, this one is a lot harder to defend. It looks like they, they cut her out of the short. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not seeing it doesn't appear to be there it was um it was in the centaur scene there was a uh, a, a very uh bad caricature of a uh, african-american centaur that was uh well less than ideal so yeah i was just checking to make sure so that one they have edited but dumbo remains untainted from um from all their stuff and i don't think song of the south is on here right song of the south no it is not on there that's probably for the best uh, but yeah Dumbo Dumbo has check time to move on to the next one you have to be some kind of heartless monster not to think that the Fox and the hound is a pretty goddamn good movie it is not the the same as like all those other you know pet goes away and pet comes back stories uh, because indeed um, one of the pets doesn't come back. You know, he he finds a home out in the woods. So it it's unique um, in so far with with Disney movies. You know, it's you know you got you, you got your two buds. You got the 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 hound dog Copper, and you got the fox Todd. And Fox is brought up in a, in a house. Eventually, runs afoul of a, of the the uh, hunter Amos's place. Um, and in order to save Todd's life, his owner, whose name I don't remember, Agnes, I don't know, um, takes him out into the woods where he falls in love with a fox named Vixen and, um, they just basically end up together. But, uh, then there's the showdown with the bear. Um, it's kind of similar to, um, well, I suppose it's not really similar to like Red Fern Grows or even, um, Old Yeller. It's just it's just a pretty good goddamn movie. Um, there is a, a, a subplot about these two birds chasing a caterpillar I could have done without because it doesn't really add a whole lot to the movie. Um, even though it's pretty classic Disney in terms of just like characters being yuckle fucks, so I can't really get grumpy about that. The movie came out in 1981. Um, it had some pretty decent songs, some gorgeous animation, and I I got a, I liked it because it was different. It wasn't all this other crap that I've seen so far it was it was it was different and um, I think that's what makes it good and it's a it's a really solid film and I can't wait for them to shit all over it with Fox and the Hound 2 because I'm just looking at the cover of Fox and the Hound 2 and I can tell it takes place during the events of the Fox and the Hound and it's probably gonna undermine and trivialize a lot of the the decent character work that the fox and the hound did what's really good about the fox and the hound is that is full of one of my all-time favorite phrases which is called moral ambiguity characters that possess neither all good or neither all bad traits but have a blending of the two are far more interesting as characters go because they're more human people are a combination of good and bad motivations and vibes that's what makes Thanos such a compelling villain. Because even if you don't side with his worldview, you can understand his worldview. You get where he's coming from. And that's pretty much every character in this movie. At one point, Copper turns against Todd and goes in like, full hunt mode. But that's only because his buddy Chief got hurt. You know? Also, side note, Chief gets hit by a motherfucking train and falls off of a train track bridge and lands in a river and gets away with just a broken leg that dog is tough as shit he got hit by a train and he was fine that's horse shit anyway um, but yeah like Amos the hunter you know he is going after uh, Todd the fox because Chief got hurt you know there's there's some motivations there it's, it's sure it's a revenge story but they're doing it because someone they really care about got hurt not just because he's a fox you know it was proper motivation there. So, I appreciated the moral ambiguity of the story. Um, Vixen the Fox, which is a terrible name because, of course, her name was Vixen the Fox. Um, kind of comes in towards the end there. But, again, she had some some uh, like depth to her character as well. Mama, uh, the owl, Big Mama, was fucking spectacular and she sings the best songs of the movie um honest to god I forgot this movie had songs because they're not it's not really a musical it just happens to have songs that kind of push the narrative forward um so I wouldn't even classify this as a musical sure there are songs sung in the mu- movie but it's like I don't know it, they they feel like they serve a different purpose and it's refreshing and, and it's handling so yeah Fox and the Hound gets a 7 out of 10 from me um, it's, it, it came out of nowhere and was a breath of fresh air for, for me in this slog of a, of a movie fest that I'm currently working my way through So, big props to uh, Disney from that time and now it's time for me to get really bummed out about the Fox and the Hound by watching the fucking straight to DVD sequel Fox and the Hound 2 is a movie that doesn't need to be made, didn't need to be seen and if you don't like country music it has absolutely nothing for you and even if you do like country music, it still doesn't have a whole lot going on for you. It's got Reba McIntyre, who is an absolute treasure. Everybody loves Reba. and I will not I c I won't I won't lie that, like, you know, singing quality in this movie is well, it's a couple of steps above what this movie's worth, if you ask me. Uh basically it follows this inane plot that of a of a band of singing stray dogs, and how Copper joins the band, and then leaves the band, and there's strife between the Fox and the Hound, but it's like, it didn't need to be told. It adds absolutely nothing to the lore of the Fox and the Hound, if anything, it takes it away. You know, it just kind of cheapens it. They, they went kind of whole hog into the Americana of Fox and the Hound, uh, which is charming in the original movie, and in this one it's kind of played for like a cliché almost. Country Music, County Fair, Reba McIntyre, Patrick Swayze, and it's, it's not great, it's not the worst one I've seen by any stretch of the imagination, I actually was able to finish this one, but it still doesn't have any value as a movie, it doesn't really, It's it's just kind of meh, first song is good, the first like opening country song where they're talking about being friends, that's not bad. I didn't mind that at all and I appreciated the constant the goal of the dogs is to sing at the Grand Old Opry which is amusing as hell Um, but the movie shows us in the beginning that the dogs just sound like dogs howling not the actual country singing that like we hear because they're animated critters so the the idea of there being just like hey we're gonna fucking just sing and we're just gonna howl into a microphone at the Grand Old Opry to a banjo is ludicrous to me um so yeah it's just didn't have a whole lot sorry it's like it's not even eight in the morning yet but it's it's not particularly good so I wouldn't recommend it I think it probably I'm gonna give it a four out of ten and those four points are just because of Reba McIntyre the rest of the movie has absolutely no value not even Swayze who I didn't know could sing and this is one of the last things he ever did, and I think it's unfortunate that one of the last movies he ever made was The Fox and the Hound 2. So. Oh well. I do like Reba. Reba gets a four out of ten. Rest of the movies rest of the movie drags it down. Should have just been should have just been Reba McIntyre as a dog. I'm just gonna sing all my all my classic country hits. Anyway, yeah. Moving on to the next one, which I've never seen before in my life. I didn't want to see it. And now I have to. And now I'm like, motherfuck. Before I get lost in the weeds of complaining about this movie, Frank and Weenie gets a 5 out of 10. Mostly because it just made me really mad. Like, they don't learn the lesson that I felt like this movie should have been trying to teach them. It's. So it's the Frankenstein story, except it's a boy and his dog. And right off the bat, we got to blame the parents for a lot of things. Number one, we got to blame the parents for basically letting the dog die. Because when the dog, like, runs away, the mom goes, Sparky. But does no movement to actually, like, get up to stop the dog. Or to chase after the dog. Or to keep an eye on the dog. And when the dog, like, gets loose the original time, the dad doesn't tie up the dog. The dad goes to his son, who's at bat, and goes, Tie up your dog. That's not... How that should have gone, Dad. You should tie up the dog. Bad parents. So, it's mostly their fault. And it's also their fault for not prepping their child about the death of this dog. Because rather than coping with the death of the dog like, you know, you're supposed to, he instead implies necromantic sciences to bring the dog back from the dead. And when the parents find out about the fact that their son brought the dog back from the dead, they go... That was a... You did a bad... mm can Can't... You can't do that. No. No, what you did was a bad. And that's the extent of the moral conversation we get about bringing your fucking pets back from the dead. And then the movie kind of... Kind of shits all over it with this weird kind of monster fight finale where, like, everybody brings fucking pets back from the dead. Even pets that aren't dead. Even things that aren't their pet. Like a fucking rat he finds in the trash can. Or a bag of sea monkeys that were alive. And they weren't like reanimated with the lightning. They were just horribly weirdly mutated by the lightning for some reason. It doesn't... they don't follow the right rules. Why Why didn't it work the second time? It should have done. Is lightning magic? Is your lightning magic? I think the lightning is magic. Because it doesn't behave the same way every single time. And it's like... Oh, because their intentions are different? That's the difference maker? I didn't know science dealt with so much emotion. So, it's... It's... I'm not a big Tim Burton fan. i just full disclosure. The black and white styling was fine. But there's a little too much emphasis on... On, like, kind of the, the creepy mannerisms of certain characters, which makes them inept. Like the fucking, I don't even know her name. The one that had Mr. Whiskers with the fucking prophetic poop. Yeah, yeah. That one, fuck that one with the tiny mouth and the big eyes and the tiny pupils. Yeah, we get it, it's spooky imagery. I, I'm, I'm with you Tim Burton, stop it. Just fucking knock it off with this shit. And then of course at the end when Sparky dies again and the kid goes, I guess I have to let him go this time. And the dad goes, well sometimes adults are wrong. Then they bring the dog back a second time using all of the car's batteries of the townsfolk. And I'm like, no! This was your fucking opportunity. To stop this shit. Now you're perpetuating it and making it okay. Also, just restarting his fucking heart won't stop the fact that a burning fucking windmill collapsed on top of him. He's got like broken bones, internal bleeding and stuff like that. That dog was probably alive for like a horrifying couple of minutes before he bled out again if he bleeds out. And like the water squirting out of his back and the fly crawling out of his neck. I don't like it. Like it's just, it's twisted and it's fucked up. Like I can't imagine the brain space of a child who would do this to their own dog. That's what upsets me. I've lost dogs. Never in my life, if I had the option, would I have Frankensteined that fucking dog back to life. Never, ever would I have done that. That it upsets me on like a really deep level. So I like the story of Frankenstein is fine, like just as a, as a thing, but I don't like fucking witnessing it. You know, the, the moral and ethical implications of this monster upset me more than like every other, because this was a thing that was dead. It was it was dead, it should have stayed dead and then everybody's like, no nah, I'm gonna bring it back to life and for some reason it's so much fucking worse when it's a dog. And when it's a person, I don't know that doesn't bother me nearly as much as a dog. Like if somebody rolled up at a DD table and told me they were gonna be a, like a pet necromancer I would be like be a different character I can't I can't no, absolutely not because it's so much worse. It's it's like animal cruelty in the worst way. In the worst way. I can't... I can't get behind it. It's... It... It really... It really fucks with me. So, yeah. This movie, I will never willingly watch again. I can't do it. I can't handle it. It's... I... I'm... 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 I'm not glad I watched it because it fucking... It's horrible. Um... Well, the movie itself is fine. It's just ethically, it's horrible. You know? Ugh, God. Anyway, um... Yeah. I also didn't find it very funny. It says it's a comedy... I mean, it's definitely not a horror movie. Um because it's not scary, but I guess horror doesn't have to be scary. It is a, it's a horror movie in like the strict sense of like, you know, the dead coming back. Or in some cases, the alive just being horribly mutated. Um or the the alive combined with the dead. That's a fucking weird one too. The lightning strikes blended a cat and a bat together. There's a dead bat and then there was a live cat. So it just kind of merged it together to like a flying bat creature that I'm pretty sure was a villain in House of the Dead. So, I don't know. It's, um, it's a movie. If you like Tim Burton and black and white fucking Frankenstein knockoff things with dogs, if you like that, if that sounds good to you, then you might enjoy this movie. Um, I feel like seeing the original live action short would probably be better. I haven't seen that, so I don't know if it's better. But I can tell you that the original live-action short's like less than half an hour, so you only have to suffer this horrible ethical bullshit once and, you know, over a very short amount of time. But yeah, that's just me, maybe. I don't know. It's my bias. Frank gets a fucking 5 out of 10. And unless you know you're going to like it, I wouldn't recommend it. Y'all ready for me to blow your minds with this review? I mean, is it going to come out of nowhere? No one expected this. Frozen gets a nine out of ten. <laughs> That's right. Who Who'da thunk it? That the movie Frozen, which everybody thought was really good and was super popular, turns out to be really good. Yeah, I, I always, I always liked Frozen. The thing that always I liked about Frozen was it, it, kind of mocks the, the the classic Disney tropes of like love at first sight and true love's first kiss and stuff like that. And what ended ends up like happening is it's a really good. Story about like the the love between sisters, and um, that's just that's just refreshing to see. Uh, plus the music is is excellent and the animation's really good and the voice acting's really solid and the performances are really amazing and the heel turn of Hans at the end is always just fun. You know, it's just it's just a really really good movie. And the only reason it doesn't get a ten out of ten, well, there's a couple of reasons it doesn't get a ten out of ten, but the biggest reason it doesn't get a ten out of ten. Is the troll song? I'm not a fan. Um, that's like that's like the one bit of the movie that I feel like brings the whole thing down, because like you, I can sing the lyrics of pretty much every other song in this movie, but then it's like he's a bit of a fixer and it's just it's just not very strong. Um, in a movie of incredibly strong songs and incredibly strong moments, it really stands out as being one of the weaker ones. So it really does kind of bring the whole thing to a screeching halt, um, eh, was a couple of weird, uh, like, uh, continuity stuff that I could nitpick if I really wanted to, but it's, it goes without saying that I very much enjoyed Frozen, um, and it's, it's definitely worth seeing, um, now my feet are cold, so, yeah, but the weather is so fucking weird, what with the smoke and stuff, it's hard to it's hard to maintain. One minute you're really hot and the next minute you're really cold and it's like 50 degrees outside and then it's 80 degrees outside and I don't really know what the fuck... what's going on. According to this, the way it's 66 degrees outside and hazy. It's supposed to rain on Friday. Maybe that'll fix the smoke. I feel like when I originally saw Frozen 2, I I wouldn't have given it the rating I'm giving it now. Um, and I think uh, this, this movie has an edge over like every other movie on the list because this movie had a documentary series showing how it was made, which only made me fall in love with the movie even more. Uh, and that makes watching it again after seeing the documentary series just so much harder. Like it hits so much more because things that I originally thought were kind of like weird or um, didn't like work out perfectly are explained away in the documentary series. So, on one hand, you could say, like, the movie needs further explanation, which, you know, is always nice to have. Um, A a perfect movie shouldn't need external information. I understand that. Um, But, I have the external information I need in order for Frozen to be a 9 out of 10. So, you can look at it either way. Without the superfluous information, the movie probably would have gotten, like, a 6 or 7. Um, but with the documentary, it really does get booted up to a nine. You know, the movie made me cry. Even though I know how it ends, uh, it still makes you cry. And that's like, that's the thing. That's what makes a good movie. Even if you know it all turns out okay and it still makes you cry, those emotional beats still hit, then that's, then they did it. That's the goal. You know, if something's sad and then you see how it turns out, and then you watch it again and it's no longer sad, then the emotional beat never hit properly the first time. But if it makes you cry, even though you know it all turns out okay, it's that's 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 the mark of it. So, and unlike Frozen, uh, I don't believe there is a weak song in the movie. Um, I feel like Into the Unknown is being kind of like focused on more than. Um, Show Yourself, which I believe is the better of the two songs, uh, personally. Um, and I love Lost in the Woods. I love the, the cheesy 80 ness of it, we like the, the staging of Kristoff and the harmonies and the guitar stings. I think it's phenomenal. I thought the animation is beautiful. That scene with the water crashing down is so gorgeously animated. It's kind of ridiculous um, how good uh, Disney is at animating water. It's it's just it's a really good film. Um, yeah, like. I know it's just the those two movies back to back represent some of the some of the finest work Disney's ever done, and it's should be should be recognized and applauded. Both both Frozen movies get a nine out of ten. Um, I suppose if I think like I'm trying to think of like if there's anything in Frozen two that keeps it away from being, I think I think the reason it doesn't get a perfect score is because the docu series brings so much more to the table and shows you so much more about it um and while while some of it is like things that are nice to know beyond the scope of the film that make the film more impactful like how kristen bell was going through a really rough time when she sang um the next right thing and that's why that song is so fucking poignant because she herself was going through a rough time and like needed that song um you don't need to know that in order for that song to hit hard you know what i mean uh, but other things uh, that the documentary series talks about really do come to light in in the in the movie. So yeah, it gets a nine out of ten, mostly because of, of that. I don't think there's anything wrong with the movie in particular. Um, there are a couple of slow points. Like the I, I like the the theme of the charades, but it's also kind of like you know we we waited so long for this movie sequel, and you're gonna give us a charade scene. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, but then. Um, Sorry, the, the best part of the movie is Olaf's recap of the first film. That is, I mean, that's like a fucking 9 out of 10 right there, basically. So, yeah, Frozen 2 gets a gets a 9 out of 10, for sure. So, Fun and Fancy Free is the first uh, movie on this list that I've seen where it is a, a blending of live action and animation. It's the, it's the first one. We haven't gotten like Mary Poppins. Dead Knobs and Broomsticks wasn't on this list for some fucking reason. I might go back and watch that because it has animation in it. So, and in my head, it technically counts. Um, same for, like, Pete's Dragon and stuff like that. Uh, but anyway, Fun and Fancy Free. It is. <sighs> Two stories, basically Bongo the Circus Bear, and then Jack and the Beanstalk told with uh, Mickey Donald the Goofy. Um, and both of those are fine. Bongo overstays its welcome for for my taste um it's kind of very long and drawn out but that's okay i mean it's it's a disney animated story i mean in like the most classic sense you know this is 1947 i believe when this came out let me just double check that one of the nice things about disney plus is it tells you when these movies come out uh yep 1947 is when fun and fancy free was uh was the thing so you know we're, we're talking good old good old-fashioned long ago um, and I do enjoy watching these, these like really old, uh, Disney movies. Cause there's something like warming about the vocal quality and like the crackling of the microphones and the way everybody sounds. It has a very particular style to it. And it's really like nostalgic and golden years and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's just kind of like a nice sleepy thing to put on. You're just like, ah, and that's the last, um, old school movie like that. I'm going to see. Until, like, fucking Jungle Book. So, you know, I've got a... I got some slog. I got a hammer on through. But anyway, find a fancy freak. Um... I was gonna give it a five. Because it's pretty average. There's not a whole lot of interesting thing going on here. It, it, it got, like, a bonus point in my head for it being the first movie that we've seen that actually has, like, Mickey, Goofy, and Donald. Like... Actually, no, that's not true. I mean, there's Fantasia. But, um... You know, it's like... It's, they're, they're not really common in the in the feature film area. And I know they're making a Mickey movie, but it's just like, it's been so long since Mickey's been in a movie. Um, and I know there's a bunch of them, like, on here, I just haven't seen them. So, you yeah, know, it, it was nice to nice to see those guys again. But the reason this movie's gonna get a 4 out of 10 for me is because of the creep factor. There's a framing device used for the latter half of the movie of what appears to be a small child alone in a house with a stranger who is talking to her through two ventriloquist puppies and the two and the puppies are are, they act as if they're like separate individuals from from the puppet master but they're not they're puppets she's in this house with a crazy puppet person by herself and that disturbs me why is there nobody else there? Why is she there? Is it a birthday party? Is it a... Is it a puppet birthday party? Why is one of the puppets named Mortimer Snurd? These are the questions I asked myself while watching this movie. They provided zero answers for me. I don't appreciate this creepy framing device. Therefore, this movie gets a 4 out of 10. If you like Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, there you go. And then you can do what I did, which is I skipped every time it was live action because it, it upset me. So, there's also a couple of references that most people aren't going to get anywhere. Like how at the very end of the movie, the giant takes the Brown Derby off the Brown Derby restaurant. Not a lot of people know what the Brown Derby is. Or was, rather. It's kind of kind of a, uh, a relic from that era. It was a restaurant where famous people ate. That's pretty much it. It's called the Brown Derby. There was a, there was a knockoff version of it In Hollywood Studios. So yeah. Um, Yeah, 4 out of 10 for being creepy. Oh god. (sighs) Good dinosaur. is excellent. Um, I, I went in with pretty much zero expectations. And was blown away. By how gorgeous a movie that is. It is stunning to look at. The... Oh, okay. it's it's one of the funnier movies I've seen in, in this whole thing. It actually made me laugh out loud, which is rare um, with with these Disney movies. It had some really good physical comedy. It had some really good, uh, just funny interactions. Um, it's it's a it's a really good representation of showing and not telling, um, simply because like one of the main characters doesn't speak. So you've got you you have to find other ways of of conveying message, and it's beautiful in how that's done. Like when they're talking about their families or when they say goodbye, it is it's it is really good. It's different from you know it doesn't fall into uh, a Disney formula per se. Um, I mean you could argue that like he's trying to go home, uh, and that's a that's a pretty common theme in a lot of these Disney movies. But it's also like a story of uh, finding like the right home, you know that sort of thing. And um, what I what I loved about this is that there's no like evil villain dinosaur. The antagonists of this movie are the forces of nature and fear. And it's so nice to see movies where the the enemy is like a yourself, you know this this metaphysical concept that is um that haunts all of us you know like the general malaise of fear that we all experience um is is all the enemy you ever need in a good story and then just the forces of nature being this this uncaring brutalistic it doesn't care it's just it's just gonna do what it does and you either have to like adapt or you perish and it's uh it's a pretty good it's a pretty good movie um, it, made me, it made me tear up a couple of times It's got a lot of heart in it um, And I'm sitting there Beginning going like man fuck this This little kid and by the end of it I'm like man that little kid is great And that's just that's the mark of a good movie When it makes you feel things If it makes you feel angry Then it does it's job because you're supposed to feel angry And if it makes you feel sad Then it did it's job because now you're sad And you're supposed to be sad so yeah, no good dinosaur, um, absolute diamond in the rough. I, I never saw it in theaters. This was the first time I'd seen it. I wish I saw it in theaters. It was it was really good. Um, this is a, a great example of judging a book by its cover, uh, and how it it really just kind of came out of nowhere and blew me away. Nine out of ten. Good dinosaur. A phenomenal film. One of it's it's jumped my pixar list i'm like i don't know what to tell you man but it just it looks incredible and the music's really good um if there's if there's a downside it's like the like the side characters are kind of weak in places but they're so unimportant to the story it doesn't really matter um although i do love sam elliott being in anything basically just doing his his gruff cowboy routine so big fan of that but yeah that was wow, that was just, that was just something else, so yeah, good dinosaur, good job. The Great Mouse Detective is, it's, that's decent, it's, it's okay, it's not gonna blow your mind, um, it's, it's a, it's a fairly okay Sherlock Holmes story, uh, made all the better because Vincent Price plays the bad guy, and who doesn't like Vincent Price, um, animation's pretty decent. Uh, it's, it's usually heralded as the, uh, like the kind of gateway movie to the Disney Renaissance. It came out, uh, a couple of years before, uh, air quotes, like the official start of the Disney Renaissance, which is like the late eighties throughout the nineties, basically, um, before Disney petered off around to the year 2000 and came out with a, a lot of less than stellar movies. Um, that didn't kind of pick up again until like Tangled and Princess and the Frog but yeah it's 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 decent i mean solid solid five out of ten um it's not gonna blow your mind it's pretty yeah it's it's fine i mean it's pretty inoffensive uh it it has some some good moments it has some bad moments it kind of rides right along that line um made slightly better by vincent price but i was like uh kind of joking with this movie because it it doesn't quite sound like vincent price it sounds more like vincent price doing a bad vincent price impersonation which of course has led me to develop my own bad vincent price impression uh to use as such classic voices as um uh king Galbatorix in the aragon books and um i think he i think he'll make an appearance uh in, a, in another series later on down the road but I won't tell you which one <laughs> it's a surprise <laughs> it's a surprise. let's move on to the next movie I actually watched this movie last night but I forgot to do the review so I'm gonna do it today and that movie is Hercules 1997 one of the, one of the last movies of the Disney Disney Renaissance period of the the late 80s and all of the 90s, pretty much. Um, Also, just in case you you weren't aware, it's called that because throughout that period of time, Disney released pretty much only amazing movies. Like, they were all critically successful and um, financially brilliant, including Lion King, which at the time, um, and I believe for many years afterwards, was the highest grossing animated movie of all time until, I wanna say Frozen. Um, it, it, held that, that moniker because, Hey, you know what? The Lion King is super fucking good. Um, surprise. Uh, anyway, I'm not talking about the Lion King. I'm talking about Hercules. So yeah, there was, it was part of that period of history and it's a, it's a pretty good story. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of nice because while there is like a, you know, they fall in love and end up together kind of thing going on. It's also a story of him discovering like where he belongs in the the universe and the cosmos, because he he eventually sacrifices his godhood in order to live a mortal life with Meg, uh, which is very sweet. And you've got James Woods, who I believe is a terrible person. I don't remember. I like. There's so much too hard to keep track of. I can't remember. But he does a decent performance here as Hades. Uh, pretty iconic. Danny DeVito. You can't go wrong. I absolutely love. Uh, the the voice actor for Meg, uh, she was also in um, Spirited Away and provided. She was uh, also, I believe, the the uh, debut actress as Belle on um, Broadway. And I just need to remember their name. No, not Meg Griffin. Hercules. Hercules. Her name is Susan Egan. She is she is a, a wonderful uh, voice actress, um, and actress, uh, like overall, she also was in like Porco Rosso. yep, Landon Spirited Away, originated the role of Belle in the Broadway musical adaptation of Beauty and the Beast, there you go, I know of what I speak, um, apparently she's also in Lady and the Tramp 2 Scamp's Adventure, so, fucking excited for that, um, but yeah, Hercules is, is pretty good, Um, I like the the CG work in it with like the Hydra fight some of the songs in there I mean the music is what makes this fucking movie 100% if the songs weren't in here this movie would not be as much fun to watch but like the muses um, I won't say I'm in love Uh, Go the distance, especially the version sung by Michael Bolton as the credit song. Oh my god It's it's got some incredible tunes that opening track um, where they introduce themselves as the muses oh there's just someone is um, one last hope there's so many good songs in this movie. like the songs alone make it like an eight out of ten. And I think that's a pretty good I think that's a pretty good number for for the movie as a whole. I think it gets a solid eight out of ten. Um, yeah yeah'm I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. it's it's really solid. who to think it? Turns out movies that came out during one of Disney's best periods were really good. And it's when Disney realized that if it adapts like classic stories, it's gonna do okay. And so it went with Hercules and Mulan and Tarzan and fucking um, Hamlet with Lion King. You know, it's, it, it, they, they learned their lesson. They figured it out um, in the end. But, uh, and then they had a stumbling point all over again. But that's, you know. That's beside the point. That's just kind of how a little cookie goes sometimes. Sometimes you look at yourself and you go, "I want to make a movie about a family of robot scientists," and then everybody else around you goes, "Why would you do that?" And then they go, "Well, shit." And then and then and then here we are. And that's what we get. That's what you get when you give it up. Anyway, yeah, Hercules, eight out of ten. This next movie is gonna suck home on the range I technically finished it so there's that the the sheer amount of bad jokes in this movie is astounding it makes me think that Roseanne Barr was in the writing room um because my word is she not funny um it's it's below average Um, I will say the movie itself in terms of it being like a plot and all that crap is definitely shit I have seen before. Um, the movie itself has no redeeming factors. Therefore the movie gets a zero out of 10. However, there are things within the movie that are not good because of the movie, but are important in their own right. And I only figured this out because with every one of these movies, I'm taking a look at the Wikipedia page for the film. And the song that is sung in the middle of the film, also Alan Menken did the music for it, so the movie gets a point for that because I love Alan Menken. So the only reason I'm I'm giving this movie a, a three out of ten is because of the song "Will the Sun Ever Shine Again," which is performed by Bonnie Wright in the middle of the movie during like the like the sad bit um, of of every of every film. But that song is important because that is the song that Alan Menken wrote in response to the 9/11 attacks in 2001. So because of that, the movie gets a 3 out of 10 um, because that's that's like the song hits way harder in that context than it does in the context of the movie. In fact if you if you only listen to that song in like the movie being sad, you don't give a fuck. But if you know that's the song that Alan Menken wrote because of 9-11, then the song is way, way more impactful. So I'd recommend listening to that song in its own right and skipping this movie because this movie is poor. Quite poor. It doesn't look really good. It's not funny. It's just it's just bad. It's just quite bad. 3 out of 10. And it's all because Alan Menken. This one might seem like an incredible amount of bias on my part but every review I've done has bias because I'm the one reviewing the movies so I'll be damned if A Hunchback of Notre Dame isn't an incredible movie. I, I looked for things that keep it from being a 10 out of 10 and if I sit here and think about it I honestly can't really come up with much the music is pretty fantastic the movie's very well animated um it also has a couple of the the funnier like bits of a disney movie for me like um i remember laughing my ass off when i was a kid and now when i rewatched the movie to like that old man in the uh, in the cage being like i'm free i'm free <laughs> dang it i just i love that that's just some good shit for me or when he's uh leading esmeralda down the side of Notre Dame, and he's like i hope it didn't scare you she's like not for an instant but then the goat goes and it's just so fucking uh, it's right on my alley music is some of the best disney's ever done hellfire has to be one of my top three like all-time favorite disney villain songs what a fucking villain to frollo tony J, out of this world like fucking pitch perfect everything like what he was all about, the way he was performed, the way he sang, what eventually happened to him when he was cast into the fires of hell. Like, pretty, pretty dark stuff. It is definitely a darker, heavier Disney movie, and I think that's why I like it so much. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that's like, oh, it kind of shits all over the original book. Well, the original book is like a thousand billion fucking pages long, and if it's anything like *Le is it's long and boring and superfluous. I don't particularly mind if it isn't the original because if it was the original, I don't think it'd be as good. I think Disney took a solid foundation of a story and adapted it to something that was for a, a wider audience that I feel like has just as much merit as the original book. Um, I've never read *Hunchback or Notre Dame by Victor Hugo, but I'm probably not going to because I watched this movie and this movie is really good. And I also saw a, a live action performance, musical performance based on this movie, um, and that was phenomenal as well. So for for all of the reasons why the movie is great and for the, the legacy it's left behind, particularly in like in my life and the things I've experienced, Hunchback of Notre Dame gets a ten out of ten. I, I think it's I think it's truly phenomenal. Um and I would watch it again right now. Um but nope, I get to watch one of one of the bigger sins when it comes to these straight-to DVD movies. Apparently, this one is under an hour long if you cut if you cut the credits out. So, at least it'll be short. Well, I tried and couldn't do it. It looks like absolute garbage. It looks like a, um, Hunchback of Notre Dame 2 is what we're talking about. It doesn't look like it was animated by Disney. It looks like it was animated by, like, Fizzney. You know, like some, like, bootleg C-studio. It doesn't look good. The really unfortunate thing is is it is the entire original cast of surviving characters came back for this So like the I, I made it like halfway through Quasimodo has a song about love and there and I'm saying they're being like lyrically It's not great, but you know his performance is pretty good And it's like it's such a bummer because there's there's you know The talent is there the like the people behind it are, are there, but it's just it doesn't it doesn't show up It doesn't come through and it shits all over the actual point of the first fucking movie. So, well not the point, but one of the major themes of the first movie, you know, Quasimodo doesn't get the girl, but he's like it it worked out, you know? That was that was kind of the whole point. And then this movie's like what if Quasimodo got the girl and it's kind of like no. No. It cheapens it. It cheapens it and it, it it's really it's it, it provides it's it's actively damaging to the first movie, this one. So it gets a zero out of ten because of that. It's super unfortunate, and I I feel bad about it because I'm like, it's not you know it's none of the actors' faults. They they had. Oh god, it's it's yeah, it's the biggest sin. Get it? Because the <laughs> it's the biggest sin so far of these of these straight to video sequels. So Hunchbacker Notre Dame Two becomes like the fourth or fifth movie um in this in this fucking cavalcade of donkey boners that I can't can't finish so such a shame in the first of what will be many this shouldn't even be on the list but it's technically on the list therefore I watched it Ice Age The Great S S Eggscapade, which is t- fucking stupid because it's an Easter Ice Age thing Like, nobody sat up and went, hey, you know, fucking Jesus isn't gonna be born for, like, another 36,000 years. Do you think we should, like, not have an Easter-themed thing? No? We should. Okay, well, here's a pitch. What if Seth Green is a pirate rabbit and he steals all of the eggs from Sid's fucking prenatal egg-sitting business and paints them all over the place and hides them to make a fucking egg hunt? Egg scavenger hunt. Zero out atta- of Fuck you! Fuck you for making me sit through that. I didn't finish it. Because fuck you. That's stupid. And dumb. And fuck Ice First Ice Age movie, I remember it being kind of okay. And I enjoyed John Leguizamo and other things. But fuck Sid. Fuck, fuck it. Fuck it all. I hate it. I hate it. And of course, you know what? I have to at least attempt next. Is the 5th Ice Age movie. I've seen the 1st. And possibly the 2nd Ice Age movie. That's it. So I'm dipping my fucking ankles into the 5th one. Which according to Wikipedia. Is terrible. I mean you've got a. You've got a fucking prehistoric squirrel. In an astronaut suit. So. What the what the fuck is this going to be? I have no idea uh, it appears to be about an hour and 20 minutes long it looks frankly terrible maybe it'll be so bad it's good God I hope so yeah no I'm not I'm not watching that one I didn't know who literally like most of the characters were I scratch should have died in space no I'm just I'm just out. Plus, it seems like fucking Ray Romano is still like the asshole mammoth he was in the first movie. And I'm like, you're telling me five movies later he's still the exact same dude? He has a wife and kids and he's still kind of like a fucking generic dick, dick bag? Then no, I'm just, I'm out. I'm out. Fuck that. Fuck that. I say, no, don't, why are you even here? Why is the why are, like, the worst bits of Ice Age on Disney Plus? Where are the other four movies? Maybe then, maybe then I'll, I'll go back and be like, oh, yeah, let's watch the fifth Ice Age movie. But not right now. Fuck that shit. Fuck it hard. Zero out of ten. I think over the course of these bonus episodes, I'm informing a certain number of you about a certain number of movies that many of you have probably never seen before. Um, and many of those, unfortunately, have just been straight-up bad. Uh, I hope it's not news to anybody when I come in and I go, hey, The Incredibles is pretty fucking good. It's one of the best superhero movies ever made. It's one of the best family movies ever made. It's, it's fantastic. I, that, this should not be news. Um, it's, it's simply phenomenal. The, the soundtrack is fucking A+. Plus. I absolutely love the family, I love the dynamic, I love the emotions that they go through, Bob being like, I'm not strong enough, I can't lose you again, that whole moment always gets me. Um I think it's I think it's really, really solid. It's really fun to watch, it's it's just it's just an exciting ride all the way through. I mean we're talking 9 out of 10, The Incredibles is a fucking classic. So if you don't like that movie, then I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Incredibles Two is as worthy a sequel to The Incredibles as we were ever likely to get. I know there was a oh god, fourteen year gap between Incredibles and Incredibles Two. I think that's right. Yeah, Incredibles Two came out in two thousand and eighteen, and the original Incredibles came out in two thousand and four. Fucking nailed it. Um, but it's it's a really good it's a really good follow up. It takes place immediately after the events of the first movie, and it deals with the legality of superheroes and their eventual rise back to being legal um along with a pretty compelling villain that has decent motivation a bunch of fun new um alternative side characters and it just strengthens the familial bond that was so crucial to the success of the first film and it does an excellent job of showing us different relationships uh the struggles of um like Uh, Mr. Incredible struggles with being uh, a a good dad and all that stuff and everybody finding their own voice and being their own person while still maintaining a strong family connection it's a really good fucking goddamn movie and of course it gets like a bonus point for the Jack Jack raccoon fight and because of that bonus point it gets a 9 out of 10 Inside Out was one of two three pixar movies that at the start of this adventure i had not seen um i always wanted to see it i just never got around to seeing it um but i have now watched inside out and it is so different from all the other pixar movies um it's a wonderful change of pace the sheer creativity of the manifestation of the psyche this idea of of core memories representing our personalities and these islands um representing those those aspects of our personalities and like this kind of physical realm um the the five core emotions joy sadness anger fear and disgust um do do cover quite a, a swath of um of the 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 spectrum i don't know where sarcasm comes in or like sassiness I guess it's a subset of anger, potentially. Um, I'm not sure how I would I would break it down, but I'm like that's like one of my stronger personality points. Where um, I guess love is bundled up with joy, uh, potentially. You could you could argue that. Um, I would think love would be the the overarching uh, emotion there, but you know this is all to interpretation. Um, of course, Bing Bong is fucking fantastic, and um, fuck this movie for for doing that to me. Um, I absolutely loved The the way it Kind of just went through um, Riley's uh, Life and Told uh, a pretty Like on paper It's a pretty simple story Riley and her family move And she has trouble adjusting That's kind of the the story on paper And uh, It's really easy to get annoyed At sadness For like pre- Like this this perception of sadness causing problems right in the beginning she's like touching memories and the memories are turning sad and from our perspective Joy's like what are you doing and sadness doesn't really know what they're doing um but then over the course of the movie it's never outrightly stated in the film but the point of the film is that it is all of the emotions it is all of our memories it is everything it's the combination of all of our experiences and what we think and feel that make us who we are it's not you can't do all happy memories you can't do all whatever it can't be a hundred percent of one thing it is a blend and that really shines at the end when you see all of the multicolored memory spheres representing that she was scared and disgusted and angry at something she was sad and happy about something it's the blend that makes us the, the complex individuals that we are and makes us grow as people. And that is not a message you tend to see in movies. And I think it's something that should be in movies more. Because it's, it's a wonderful message. The movie made me cry. It's absolutely gorgeously animated. It's such a, a fun ride into what makes us human. What, what makes our personalities Go. Um, and of course there's that bit where um, Riley talks to a boy and we go inside the boy's brain and he's just fucking losing his shit because a girl's talking to him. So, I think I think I gotta do it. I can't think of anything wrong with it, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I, you know, y- you feel a lot of emotions through this film and it's almost like that's the point. And because it's so unique and so different and I want more things like this, Inside Out gets a 10 out of 10. It's... You gotta do